Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to come here this morning and call you Father and worship you. Lord, we thank you that we hear your voice when we come to worship, that part of our worship is listening to our Father. So, Lord, we pray that we may be careful to listen this morning to what you have said in your word, even though it was written many thousands of years ago, that it still applies to us today. Lord, we pray that we may love Jesus Christ all the more as a result of studying your word this morning, hearing your voice. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Have you ever been really thirsty? Think of when you've been really, really thirsty. Have you experienced real thirst? I mean, our kids all the time are saying, I'm thirsty, and it's like desperate, and they start to get feverish in their pitch about, give me a drink, give me a drink. They start to get insistent. But I often wonder, how much do they know about real thirst? I've probably not experienced thirst to the extent that many people have, but I have gone on absolute fast and for about 18 hours had nothing to eat, nothing to drink. And it does start to bother your mind. Uh, you start to get a really dry mouth. The, the tongue starts to stick a bit. And, of course, uh, you start to just, that's all you can think about is the thirst that you're experiencing. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a group of people who are thirsty as well. And that is the Israelites in Exodus chapter 17, as we just heard read to us. In Exodus chapter 17, we see these Israelite people are very thirsty. How did we get to this point? How did they get to this point of thirst? Have they suddenly made a decision that they're going to go on an absolute fast? Well, the Israelites are out in the desert. And why are they in the desert? Well, uh, it's a bit of a long story how they got there, but basically we could start at the very beginning with Adam and Eve in Genesis. Adam and Eve have uh, a son, Seth, and from him eventually you go down to the line of, uh, through his line, to Abraham. Abraham is a, uh, a big hero in the Old Testament. He then has, as his uh, grandson, he has Israel, who then has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, which then, of course, makes up the Israelites. They spend some time in the, the, the land that they're at, and then they have to go down to Egypt because of a famine. And they go down there because Joseph, one of the sons of Israel, is uh, ruler of the land and they have a place there of refuge. But then that generation dies away and eventually Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the new Pharaoh, comes along and he oppresses the people of Israel. Then the Israelites have a new leader come along, Moses, who then leads the people out of Egypt with a series of plagues inflicted upon the Egyptians and last time, uh, last Communion Sunday, we looked at them crossing the Red Sea. They were, struck, uh, they were stuck before the Red Sea and God provided a way through water for them to go through so they would be able to escape the Egyptian army that was bearing down hard upon them. And now they are out in the desert and they come to this particular place where they are needing water. And that is my first main point this morning. If you want to follow my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin. My first main point this morning is water is needed. Water is needed by the Israelites. And this is not surprising. They are in the desert and there is no water generally in deserts. And we read that in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 17. If you've got a black church Bible, I encourage you to have it open to page 71. Page 71, Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, we read, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, 
but there was no water for the people to drink. So, first part of the situation is there is no water. Second part of the situation is that the Israelites want water. And we see that in verse 2. So they quarrelled with Moses, their leader, and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Why do these Israelites want water? Well, there is none, and we often want what we don't have. But, of course, they need water. They're thirsty. And we read that in verse 3. It says, But the people were thirsty for water there. It's not as though some magical power had, they had that they were able to sustain themselves without any water. No, they are experiencing great thirst there in the desert where there is no water. And they don't just want water for themselves. We also read that others around them are thirsty as well. We read in verse 3 it says, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They recognise that their children are thirsty, and not just their children, but their livestock. The animals that are with them are thirsty. And they also recognise that if this continues to be the case, they will die. They are worried that they will die from thirst, and we see that in verse 3 as well. It's not just that they want to drink and they shouldn't really be that bothered about it. They believe, in verse 3 it says, that they will die of thirst if they do not get a drink. And so the Israelites turn to Moses, their leader, for water. So what does Moses do? Well, Moses asks God for help. And we see that in verse 4 of Exodus 17. After the people have cried out to him, Moses in turn cries out to the Lord in verse 4 and says, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. So we've seen the situation. Water is needed. People are thirsty. Children are thirsty and livestock are thirsty, there is no water in the place. So what does God do? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Water is provided from the rock. Water is provided from the rock. Moses is instructed to strike the rock at Horeb. And we read that in verse 5. It says, The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So we see God says, I can provide water. This is what you need to do. You need to go with that staff, that wooden staff that you have, strike the rock and there will be water coming out of it. And not just any water, it's not like salt water suddenly poured out of the rock and the people weren't able to drink it. No, we see that in verse 6 it says, water will come out of it for the people to drink. That is drinkable water. It is not as though it is water that is contaminated in some way and these people are not able to drink it and survive. And so we see that the Israelites are able to drink this water and survive. They were able to continue to live. Now this is an interesting story. But what does it mean? How is it helpful for us? Thousands of years moved on from this fact. How is it helpful for us to learn about Moses and the Israelites and their thirst and a rock and a staff hitting a rock and some water coming out of it? Well, we need to recognise that this is a picture of Christ and that the situation may not be exactly the same, that physical water is needed by us today in a similar way, but that spiritual water is needed today. 
And that's my third main point this morning. Spiritual water is needed today. Spiritual water is needed today. People still need physical water, yes. But there's also a need for spiritual water, for something that would provide us with eternal life. People look for eternal life in many places. People try to prevent ageing at least by changing their appearance through the cosmetic industry uh, with moisturisers, makeups, dyes, things like this to prevent ageing, to prevent this appearance that you are on the way out, that you are going to die. A hunger for some sort of eternal life, at least in part, is shown by the cosmetic industry, that we want to promote ourselves as younger than we actually are. And people even go down the line of cosmetic surgery. They'll actually have surgery, medical procedures done, with a view to simply making themselves look younger. And it's big business in many parts of the world to have cosmetic surgery done to make yourself look younger. And of course, people look for extension of life by the health industry as well. People will, of course, take medicines, have surgery, go under strict diets, exercise in different ways. And even these days they're talking about genetic manipulations to actually help us to live longer. And we're trying to get longer and longer that we can extend life further and further and hope that one day we'll be able to solve the problem of death through the health industry altogether. Now that's not to say that you shouldn't diet, you shouldn't exercise, you shouldn't take medicines. But it is with a view of extension of life. We know that we want to extend our lives in with reasonable means and some people with even unreasonable means. They keep going. They keep hungering through the health industry after a way of extension of life. And then, of course, people hunger after eternal life through supernatural means, through mystical ways. I remember um, reading different stories and seeing different things. You see this in um, popular culture in different ways, that people are trying to find some sort of mystical way of eternal life. We may recognise that it's just good fiction, but it is there nonetheless, which shows a deep desire for people to have eternal life. Jill and I enjoyed a popular TV series, which is quite a while ago now on TV, called Alias. And if you've never watched that, it's about um, uh, CIA operatives and uh, all kinds of uh, action scenes happening through that. And it was a very interesting show, and it has an underlying storyline through it. And if you, if you don't want to find out what happens at the end, then please close your ears now. But basically, what happens is the, the main nemesis, the big uh, uh, villain in the story, is trying to find a way to have eternal life and he actually gains eternal life at the end. I shouldn't spoil exactly what happens then to him, but he does find a fountain of youth, a fountain of youth which is often the idea that people have in stories of this place that you can go to, you can drink of this fountain, and you will have eternal life. And I was introduced to this kind of idea even uh, young age in fiction with uh, phantom comics. One of my, I was an avid reader of Phantom Comics. I still have a large number of them all stored away in specially sealed bags so they will be um, worth a lot in the future, I'm sure, until they're all destroyed with fire when Jesus comes back and, and changes the world. But one of my favourite Phantom Comics was about this queen, this queen of some big kingdom, and she had a witch give her eternal life on one condition that she could never love a man. She was allowed to live forever and always look beautiful 
and young, but she was never allowed to fall in love. And of course, if you can guess what happens, the phantom comes, who is a hunk and the most wonderful man in the world, of course. And what does the queen do? She falls in love with the phantom. He's not interested in her, but she, of course, is interested in him. And she actually turns to dust before his very eyes. It's one of the most graphic scenes for me as a young kid, was watching this queen turn in comic form to skeleton and then to dust before the phantom's eyes. She had hungered for eternal life. And this, in fiction, represents what people do have a yearning in themselves. They recognise that they are going to die. Why do people seek eternal life? Because they recognise that they will die without some sort of life-giving water, some fountain of youth, some sort of mystical experience that may come to them that will extend their life. And this fits with the Bible's understanding. We recognise what is true as we look at our lives and look at people dying around us, and the Bible tells us this as well. The Bible tells us that we will die. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We all die. And we're all spiritually dead as well, the Bible says. Colossians 2.13 says, You were dead in your sins. We are spiritually dead and physically dying people. As much as we may hate to admit it, and as much as we may use cosmetics and health treatments and diet and exercise, we are dying people. And we know this. And we hunger for eternal life. So the question is, is there any good news for us? Is there a fountain of life? Is there a fountain of eternal youth that we can drink of and live forever by? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Spiritual water is provided from the rock by God. Spiritual water is provided from the rock by God. The account of the rock in the desert actually points to Jesus Christ, the true rock who gives water as well. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Flip with me there, one, page 1134, 1134. The Apostle Paul knows about Moses striking the rock. And in chapter 10, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, page 1134, we read his interpretation of this narrative in Exodus. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, we read the Apostle Paul saying, saying, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. We see a reference to people drinking from a rock in the Old Testament, and that rock is Jesus Christ. And such an interpretation fits with our understanding of God being represented as a rock. It's a common metaphor used for God in the Old Testament, and even Moses himself uses that later on in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Verse 3, we read, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. God is stable. And the rock metaphor as a, uh, a symbol of stability is used for God. And in that passage that we look at in Exodus chapter uh, 17, 
It's interesting the way that it is written about God and the rock, the relationship that they have with one another, in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 17. Look with me back at Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, page 71. Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, God says, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, you see how it says there in verse 6 that God will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Now, the little Hebrew word that's translated by there in the NIV is usually translated as the word on. And if you look in other translations like the ESV, it says, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And so God is standing on that rock as it is struck and then water comes out. And so we can see how this starts to look very clear that it's a picture of Jesus Christ. God is represented as a rock. Jesus is God. And the interpretation that uh, Paul has in 1 Corinthians 10, that they drink in this spiritual drink with God there on the rock being struck. But the question then is, is, was Christ, if he is God, so then he's obviously a rock, was he struck? The answer, of course, is yes. Jesus predicts that one day he will be struck. He says in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, he says, You will all fall away, talking to his disciples, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's actually a quote from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, that the Messiah would be struck one day. And Jesus was actually physically struck as well. He was punched in the face by a leader of the Israelites at his trial. He was struck in the face for the way that he spoke to the high priest. He was beaten. We read in Luke chapter 22, verse 63, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. And then, of course, he was hung on a wooden cross. It's interesting, Moses with a wooden staff hit the rock and Jesus is hung on a wooden cross. He has that bearing down upon him as he carries it there and then he is hung up on it. And, of course, Jesus is also struck after he has died with a spear. Remember that soldier? In John 19, verse 34, it says, One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear. And then what does it say? Bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Interesting. The rock, Jesus Christ, is struck with a spear and blood and water comes out. Now, of course, whenever people preach on that passage, they make a, a big point about how that shows that Jesus was physically dead. Apparently, when the body uh, dies, there is a separation that occurs between blood and water. And so it's a very good proof text that Jesus was definitely dead. But it's nonetheless interesting that there is water flowing from Jesus' body and if we understand that Jesus is the rock and he produces water, it's a very interesting thing that there is actual physical water flowing from Jesus Christ as well after he has been struck. So the question then is, Jesus is the rock, he is struck, but does he bring water that gives eternal life? Does the stricken Jesus bring water that brings eternal life? Well, Jesus proclaims that he does. John 4, 13, which we just had read to us, it says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water 
I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus makes this promise. I have water. I can give it to you. And if you drink of it, you will have what? Eternal life. So the question then is, we know where the fountain of youth is now. We know that it's the rock, Jesus Christ. We know that he has been struck. A way has been opened for us to drink from him. The question is, how do you drink from Jesus? How do you get water from the rock that is Jesus Christ? Well, it's by faith, by trusting in Jesus, by believing in him. And Jesus tells us that in John chapter 7. We didn't have that passage read for us, but I'll read it for you now. John chapter 7, verse 37. We read, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. If you trust in Jesus Christ, he sends his Spirit, who is living water in you, and gives you eternal life. But how does that work? How can us, a Jesus who has been stricken give me eternal life by faith? How can that work? Well, the reason is Jesus has been struck in your place. You deserve to be struck for your own sin. You deserve to be hurt for what you have done. But the wonderful truth that the Bible proclaims to us is that a substitute has been provided, and that substitute is Jesus Christ. He has received the beating that you deserve so that you can go free and not be beaten. Because no more beatings are required. He has absorbed all the beatings that are required for your sin. Jesus does not need to be struck again. Which is very interesting because later on, as we see the Israelites wander through the wilderness, they have a very similar situation happen again where they need water. And what happens? God says, speak to the rock and water will come out. And what does Moses do? He hits the rock. We read in Numbers 20, verse 11, it says, Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. End of story? Happy ending? No. Verse 12 then says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Why didn't Moses get to go into the promised land? Because he struck the rock when he shouldn't have. And if we remember what it said there in Exodus 17, that God was on the rock, many theologians, as they look at this passage, say, the reason Moses is in such big trouble is because he was striking God in anger there. And if the rock is a picture of Christ, for Moses to strike that rock demonstrates that he must be struck again and again and again. Whereas we know that Jesus only has to be struck once. He has taken the penalty that we deserve for our sins. There is no need for you to do anything else for salvation, which is what lots of 
other uh, religions that call themselves Christian will actually teach you that you trust in Jesus Christ, but then you must be struck as well. You must do good works. You must be uh, uh, undergo some sort of persecution and that kind of thing. And that's all very helpful for you to get to heaven. No, that's striking the rock again and again and again. And it's something you should not do. The rock has been struck. The water has come. What do you need to do? You need to drink by faith. Trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and have eternal life. Now you may say, well, but I'm still going to die, aren't I, Joel? Even if I become a Christian, Christians around me are always dying. How do I know I've got eternal life? Well, we've seen that we've got proof that eternal life has come by the way that Jesus was raised from the dead. When you die, it's no longer a death where you're going for eternal death in hell. Instead, it's merely a doorway from one stage of your eternal life to the next stage of your eternal life. We as Christians are alive eternally right now. God proclaims in his word, he said you were once dead, but now you are alive in Christ Jesus. We have been raised from spiritual deadness and we are alive. And so death no longer has any fear for us because we know that the punishment that we deserve has been taken by Christ. The rock has been struck and we have drunk that living water from the fountain of youth by faith and we have the Holy Spirit making us alive for the rest of eternity. So the question is, you've seen here this morning that there is a need for water that brings eternal life and that Jesus provides the water that gives eternal life. Do you recognise your need for living water? A way of eternal life. Do you recognise that you will die? Lots of people like to put off any sort of mention of death because they don't want to think about it. Do you recognise? Are you getting into reality in your life and recognising that one day you will die? And do you then recognise that the living water, the way of eternal life is found in Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ has been struck on your behalf and so you trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Do you trust in him? Do you believe in his name and have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, giving you eternal life? Or are you seeking eternal life by other means? Through human industry, cosmetics, health tips, diets, exercise? Are you trying to hold on? still remember a neighbour of ours when we moved in and we had them over for dinner. This is before we came to this church, and she said, "I and she said, I'm an atheist, Joel. I hope you aren't offended, but she said, but I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. I'm I'm not going to die. I'm hanging on." She was elderly, and like, yeah, she just she just thought by sheer willpower she was not going to die. Is that you? Do you think that you can find a way of eternal life somewhere else? There is no way of eternal life except through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Trust in Jesus Christ. He is the fountain of life. He is the way of salvation. He has been struck for you. The payment is paid. Trust in him. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let us speak with him. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of your word that points us to Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is indeed the rock and that he has been struck on our behalf and water has flowed from him 
We can have the Holy Spirit live in us if we will simply trust in him. Lord, we pray that we may accept him by faith. And Lord, we pray that we may not seek to strike the rock any further by the way that we live. May we not think that there's some other way, there's some means of salvation that Christ has not paid for. And so we need to pay for it ourselves. Lord, we pray that this may not happen. But we may trust fully and completely in Jesus Christ for salvation. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.